So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Even the parts that perhaps we have not spent a lot of time in, when we read them afresh and new, they speak to us. They challenge us. They convict us. And I pray as we look at Zephaniah the prophet today that you will open our eyes to see the wonders of your word and the glory of your person and also the fact that there is a day coming. And that day we need to be prepared for, whoever we are. And so, Father, I pray that you will bless our time together and bless Levi and Jess as they are on their honeymoon and give them a wonderful time and a safe time together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me give you a few introductory things. Turn to Zephaniah uh, chapter 1. If we don't have Bibles, I think we have some in a closet over here. So uh, Zephaniah 1. There's no, you never have to worry in this church about having a Bible. Bibles are here for sure. When you come here, you're going to hear the Word of God. So here's a few, few little introductory things for us. I don't know if he mentioned much about it at all last week, except for the fact that that's where we're coming. Uh, the year here is during the days of Josiah, and most scholars say somewhere around 625 B.C. Uh, the historical contact text is the reign of Josiah. He reigned from 640 to 609. And it's mentioned here in verse 1, chapter 1, that he is it's Josiah. Now, regarding Zephaniah himself, the name means God hides, uh, or Yahweh hides. Zephaniah, Yah. So it's, and the Zeph on the front is a word which, which means therefore hide. It is interesting to me that when you look at chapter 2, verse 3, and look at that verse with me for a moment. It says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. This is not the same word as Zephaniah's name, but it is a synonym for it. And I've wondered if perhaps one of the reasons why Zephaniah is the man is perhaps this, this fact that there is a sense in which you can find your hiding place in God in the time of trouble. And this is what he is saying here in this passage, which we'll get to in a moment. In fact, if we were to look at what is the key verse, and I do hope you have your uh, book with you. Let me see if I've got mine right here. If you look on page 23, you will find that there is, uh, first of all, a theme, an outline, and he gives you a verse. I, I would suggest to you that there's a couple of verses that could vie for that, because as you know in the scripture, it doesn't say, now this is the key verse. But you, as you read the book, you see, and this verse here fits, as well as 317. I want you to tell me why. I hope you've read Zephaniah and done some study. But this verse we just read, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Why would we maybe consider that as a key verse? What are you finding there in that verse that would say, 
You know, yeah, I, I think that kind of a, is a key that unlocks what he's talking about. What's the reference on that one? Through, uh, this, we're on 2-3. Two, three. Two, two, three. Zephaniah 2-3. Okay, well, let me help you this way then. What's some of our, what's one of the key thoughts here? And, and if you just look down, you might see that. What, what's in the minor prophets, what are the two big themes that we're seeing? Okay, now look at that verse again. Do you see judgment? Where's that judgment found? In that verse, 2 3. The day of the anger of the Lord. The day of the anger of the Lord. All right. What, now, what about the, the mercy side? Do we see mercy in this verse? You may be hidden. Yeah, that you may be hidden. So you seek, seek, seek in humility, and then you may be hidden. So that verse, I think, contains our, our themes. But now let's look at Zephaniah 3, verse 17. I love chapter 3, verses 9 to 20. Yes, ma'am. I make a comment about two, you may. I have a note. I don't know where I got it from in my Bible, next to two three, that says the only way to flee from God is to flee to Him. Excellent. The only way to flee from God is to flee to Him. That that's excellent. It, it came from one of you guys somewhere along the way. It's probably this guy on the front row here. Okay. Could be. All right. Um, so, let's look at that verse. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So, why would we say this could be a, a theme of Zephaniah? A key verse. Okay. The word saved there helps us to see that there's two sides of the story. There's judgment on one side, and there's mercy on another. The, the great thing about chapter 3, verse 17, anybody else want to add to that? There's a couple of things here that we've seen in the Minor Prophets already that would clue you in that, and this is a very good verse. Any phrase in verse 17 jumps out at you. The Lord your God is in your midst. And you will see this several times in the Minor, minor Prophets where God says, I will be with you or I will be among you or I will be in your midst. And so that becomes also a very strong theme. Also, Mighty One, you've seen this or we'll see that several times also in the Minor Prophets. But there's a sense here of the promise of the presence of God on the one side that brings love, joy, peace. That's what it's talking about there at the end. So this is a very strong verse as well. So I, I think either one of those two, uh, this one has been listed. I'm not sure where he, he uh, picked that one out from, but that's a good one, and I love that for 317. All right, some general observations about the text. You've got to have your Bible open now. I want you to look with me to verse 2. 1, 2. Somebody read verse 2 for me. Go, Mitchell. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Okay, look at those first words. I will utterly sweep away. 
Now I want you to go toward the end, to, and I want you to go to uh, 319. I need somebody to read 319 for me. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Okay. Did I get the right one? not the words I'm looking for. I've got them here somewhere, but where? I'm looking for the phrase here at the end. Oh, yeah, it's there. I'm sorry. I just didn't have it underlined. Verse 19, the second full line, second sentence, and I will save. So I want you to look at the bookends here of this, which tells you, again, the judgment and the mercy. 1-2, he says... I will sweep away, utterly sweep away. And then the end, I will save. So here's the two things here from God, the judgment and the mercy of God. I want you to note something else as you're looking through this, and it probably hits you too. There is a recurring theme throughout all these oracles. I think basically there's about four oracles. And it's a word that comes over and over and over again. Single, simple word, three letters. Anybody figure out what it is? Hmm? All? All? No? Well, that's, that's a good word. That's not the one I'm looking for. The word I'm looking for, anybody else want to try it? It comes in our theme uh, phrase in this book and many of the Old Testament books like Joel and so on. Day? Day. It's the word day. It occurs 17 times in our English translation. So there's going to come a day, in that day, on that day, the day of the Lord, the day of his wrath, the day of his anger. It's over and over and over here, 17 times. And therefore, look back on page 23 of your notebook again, your workbook, and look at the outline that is here. We're going to talk more about structure in a moment, but look at this, the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord... All these things, what is it, five different elements. The day of sacrifice and punishment, a day of wrath, a day of mercy through repentance, a day of judgment against all nations, a day of joy and restoration. It is a day, notice, for both, for judgment and for mercy. That day is coming upon us. And then um, the last thing before we get into some other stuff here is... I want you to note the geography lesson that uh, we have here in this prophecy. Zephaniah is giving us a picture, and God really is. He's just God's spokesman. But he's giving us a picture of the whole world in that day from that limited perspective in Israel. And let me read you a quote from uh, J.A. Motier. He says, Zephaniah looks around the world as he knows it. West to Philistia, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. East to Moab. South to Cush. And north to Assyria. Using his own world map to sketch the universal dimensions within which his vision is working. So, we are seeing here, as he sits in Jerusalem and Judah, 
and looks around. He can look east, west, north, south. He sees God at work to bring judgment on the whole earth because that's the whole world as he knows it. So that's, uh, that's part of the significance of seeing that. All right. So let me ask you this, a couple of questions, and then we'll get into our, our questions that are in the workbook. Uh, what did you see or sense in the overall text of Zephaniah as you were reading it? What impressed you or, or what, what passage maybe gripped you? What did you sense and feel as you read the, this little book of Zephaniah, the prophecies of Zephaniah? It's good it's because one of the key words here is silence. So it, it's, let the earth be silent. That's, right. this temple. that's not the right book. That's not the right book. But the same, same thing. We're going, and we're going to talk about that in the question. This that struck me was just the, the this judgment and the obliteration. It reminded me back of, of Genesis one prior to creation. There's nothing. Everything is just being leveled. I mean, you know, we've seen pictures recently with Ukraine and just the devastation there and just our hearts go to those folks. And it's just, it's, it's a wasteland. Mm -hmm. And the picture is so graphic in Zephaniah. It's so vivid, you know, with, with definition. It's like a 4K TV. It's like you can see the pores on the person's face. Yeah. Right? It's that kind of, nothing's going to be spared. Even the fish in the sea will die. I mean, not even in Noah's day did the fish that, die. Yeah, that's right. that's right. But the fish will die in the day of the Lord. That's serious stuff. I, I was impressed the same. I, I mean, with, with the opening words, hear the word of the Lord, I will utterly sweep away everything. That, I get chills at that. That is frightening. Yes, ma'am. My version says consume. Consume. Another great word there. Just how you handle the nuance of the Hebrew word. All right. What else? Anybody else have an impression? Something that you felt, see, saw? Something you held on to? Anything else before we get into the questions? Verse 1 said, then he said, uh, Be silent before the Lord God. The day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. He says, when does the Lord sacrifice in the Old Testament? Uh, yeah. Well, he is holy, and he, he is. Yeah, yeah. This this is a huge verse right there for you to think through. Yeah, good, good. And that's one of the verses we'll be talking about in a few minutes. All right, so let's turn to our workbook uh, in the first section, observing the text, and let's see what you observed. Uh, what is the main structure and outline of Zephaniah? Don't cheat and say, well, page 23 says it all. Because, because it does. But what did you see as far as structure? Whenever you're reading a book of scripture, uh, there, there are structures there. There are things to look for, little posts, sign markers for you. But what did, what did you see? What, was, uh, what touched you here about that as you read it? Did you see it from themes? Were there any themes here? It kind of starts with the day of the Lord, the call to repentance, the judgment on the nations. Okay. And he's faithful to his remnant. Sort of like what we've heard before. Okay. What else? 
So the judgment, and then God is faithful to his remnant. Remnant is a, is a key word here. By the way, did you pick up the fact there's two remnants? There's a remnant of Baal, too. But the remnant of Baal is going to be wiped out. But the remnant of Yahweh will be saved. All right? What? Uh, anything else about just the structure of the text? Starts with judgment and ends with restoration. Okay, good. Restoration. I like that. Uh, is that word restore used in Zephaniah? You may happen to remember that in your reading. Look toward the end, see if you see anything. When I restore your fortunes. When I restore your fortunes. Uh, He's got that borrowed from Jeremiah. And that's also another sentence twice in Zephaniah. They will restore your fortunes. That doesn't mean your cash. That's not your fortune. It's talking about God's blessing and God's moving and returning David to the throne, the greater David to the throne. And we'll see that too. Uh, anything else? All of this and a lot of the prophets are this way. You'll see it set up like a poem, so on. This is this is a good little book for. Crossway puts these out so you can get them in, in every single book of the Bible, so you can put notes and do whatever you want to do. Okay, but you're right. This is a poem. Uh, Nahum was a poem as well. Um, you find poetic literature in most of the prophets. All right. Yes, ma'am. Again, this version on uh, 3.9, again, there's the word, then I will restore, and it says to the people of pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord. And that, to me, is very encouraging, again, speaking of the work of the Lord in us. And is it just for Judah? for all peoples so here we're getting we're seeing the Gentiles come in a remnant of true Israel coming together good alright so you can look at again page 23 and you can get a, a, a gist in effect of the day of the Lord and what it is there's also an interplay here of uh, going back and forth throughout this book which maybe we'll pick up in another one of the questions but of going back and forth between judgment and mercy, judgment and mercy, judgment and mercy. Sometimes the mercy, you can read right over it if, if you're not careful. You picked up one of the good ones there. So uh, one, let me just throw a couple of other things to you. Uh, F.B. Meyer, which is a great preacher of another century, in fact, back in the 1800s, uh, just sent, had this simple outline. A day of judgment, one 1 through 3, 8, and a day of hope. And that was 9 through 20 of chapter 3. There was another one that Motier had in his book, which focused on hope, making this a book of hope. Uh, he had 1, 2 through 2, 3, the day of the Lord, can there be hope? 
when you read what we're talking about, how devastating it was to read through all of this. Can there be hope? You really wonder at that point as you read Judah and Jerusalem and all these nations are going to be judged. Can there be any kind of hope? Then 2.4 through 3.8, disaster interleafed with hope. You get these little glimpses. Was his second point of this. And the third point was hope consummated. So the people were, if we go back to what you said earlier, they were consumed, but the hope is consummated in the faithfulness, love, mercy of God. All right, so who are the main characters? Who are the main characters? Chapter uh, 1, verse 1 might help you. As some of the main characters, there are more. Chapter, chapter 1, as it goes on, we'll give you more after, and chapter 2, verse 3, after that. Okay, that's pretty good right there. You've hit the main characters in, in one little swoop. Now, what specifically the main characters of the nations, we'll see as we go on through. There's one other one I would, I would also put in there that you've already mentioned too, so I'll just put it down, the remnant. There's a remnant that God is looking for and looking to. Here's a simple one for us. What is the plot? The day of the Lord, okay? Another way to put that, if we go back here to key verses for overall minor prophets, or the 12, is judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy. You're going to see that just alternating throughout this particular book. Uh, where else do we see these plot points and characters show up in the 12? All of them. About 11 other of the 12 will do the same thing. Exactly right. So that, that was an easy question there. So now let's come back to what we just mentioned a moment ago. The next question is, which prominent theme from the 12 uh, show uh, up again at 7917? What's the, what's the big theme that we're seeing in most of these minor prophets, these spokesmen for God? One seven. What's near? Okay, day of the Lord. I need to get more coffee in here. I think. <laughs> All right, the day of the Lord. Look at look at verse fourteen. The great day of the Lord is near. Um, look at verse fifteen. A day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry. You know what I'm thinking? Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King. I mean, this is, this is just like Tolkien writing this. But God gave it first. And I'm sure Tolkien has borrowed heavily from what he read in the prophets. Um, so you'll see it also throughout, as we mentioned 17 times, talks about the day. Or the day is coming or that day is coming. So let's get specific. Chapter 2, verse 4. And it takes you on down through um, 3, 8. But if you just look in verses 2, 4, down through verse 11, 
you're going to find, or verse 12, you're going to find names of nations. What do you find? Who do you see? Okay, we see Judah. Sons of Lot, Moab, and Ammon. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Um, look at, let's see, verse 8. How is Cousins. Cousins. Right. What's that? They're cousins. Yeah, exactly. And when you read this, um, it says, Moab shall become like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. Where did Moab and Ammon come from? Their mom came from Sodom and Gomorrah. A very fitting judgment that comes down uh, with Lot. Okay? What else? Any others? 212. What's another one? Cush. Where is Cush? North Africa. North Africa, somewhere down maybe south of, of Egypt, somewhere in that area. You usually see Cush coming from there. By the way, it, this is also, I'll, I'll throw this out to you and read in your commentaries. If you go back to 1 1, there's a little sidebar. Uh, you know, pay your money and take what's worth. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi. Uh, some of the scholars believe that he actually had a mother, uh, father came from that region. And so he has that background, which would make him uh, of a racial mix. That's interesting. Uh, but also, even more interesting, he's the son of Gedaliah and son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah, if it's the Hezekiah we know in Scripture, and some of the scholars think so, this puts him as the only one of the 12 who is of royal blood. And so you've got a real unusual mixture. Also, when you read about judgment against Cush, uh, this guy, and Hezekiah, being son of Hezekiah, he has a lot to say about the king's officers. He says a lot about people who are in leadership. And he talks about the Cushites being judged. So he, he here is giving the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, to everybody. All right? And then 2.13, who else do we have? Assyria. Okay, Assyria, Nineveh. Uh, I think we said Philistines. Philistines, by the way, I think that's, Philistia is mentioned, but we see that specifically uh, in Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron. And I think one of the things I want you to see, let me find 2.5. Uh, find 2.5 with me. I want somebody to read 2.5. Uh, and go back to 2.4. I want you to begin with 2.4 because 2.5 will be a summation. you have anybody agree? Okay. For Gaza shall be deserted and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to you inhabitants of the seacoast, you nations the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines, and I will destroy you until no inhabitant is left. So he, he mentions every specific, of the greatest enemy of Israel in their day, the Philistines, he mentions four of the five cities. 
and specifically points them out. Now, here's one interesting thing I came across. Uh, when it speaks of Ashdod there, uh, what did it say about how long it would take God to destroy that? Yeah, I mean, all right. Here's, here's something from history. Normally, it would require a lengthy siege to capture such a significant city. Indeed, during Zephaniah's own time, the Egyptian pharaoh, this is Zephaniah now, uh, Sabbaticus I took 29 years to besiege Ashdod. But in this oracle, the battle begun against Ashdod at dawn would be over by noon. The inhabitants of this entire area would be wiped out. 29 years it took the great pharaoh of Egypt to be able to conquer this particular town, and God says, wiped out quickly. So it goes back to what we've been saying all along about this is a devastating day that's coming. Um, you, know, and you know what's interesting, too, is what's conspicuously absent is that the arm of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord, right? The right hand is a sign of salvation. The left hand is a sign of judgment. Mm-hmm. He's more apt to use the right than the left, the Puritans would say, but the left hand will be Babylon. But Babylon is not mentioned as the instrument through which the judgment will come upon Israel, Judah, and the nations. Mm-hmm. It's almost, you know, it's like this, that Yahweh is really, though he uses means, the, the primary he uses picture means there, is right. The primary picture there is that he's bringing this judgment. And Babylon is not on the picture yet. Right. He's not on, on Zephaniah's scope. Yeah. And I'll give you something about that. Assyria is still standing. Assyria is still standing. Right. So, yeah, that God's left hand is very active here, and he just lets them know that it is very powerful. And therefore, you need to beware. Judah, Jerusalem, wait a minute, they're God's people. Well, are they true Israelites? Are they really following God as they should? We're going to read more about that in a moment. How would you describe, next, next question, how would you describe the day of the Lord from 1-7 through 3-20 based on the subject headings for each section of the outline. Just give me a summation here. What you, when you're looking at this outline here about the day, and, and I know we've kind of already said all this, but let's just go over that again. What, what are you seeing as a summation? How, did, how is the day of the Lord described? So it's a complete destruction, an utter destruction. Everything. Okay. What else? Anything else? It's okay to speak up in here. I don't want you to do it during Dennis's sermon, but you can speak up in here. There's so many words. Janet, did you have something you heard? Well, just just the gloom and darkness. Gloom and darkness. Um, if you're again, if you're looking at the pictures of Ukraine right now, I looked at pictures last night yeah. of the most recent devastation and the darkness and people down un- hunkered up underneath uh, in basements and things and uh, the, the the faces of the people, the gloom of the people. You're you're seeing a picture that is only minuscule compared to the day of the Lord. Okay. And and by the way, we're going to get to the fact that this is a warning to us. 
This is a warning to us. So, how do the themes of judgment and mercy in Hosea 3, 4, and 5, let me read those words again. If you want to turn there, you can. Hosea 3, 4, and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar. By the way, talking about the sacrifice earlier, how he's going to sacrifice them. Here's, you know, they will be without sacrifice, without ephod, or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and, the, and David their king, and they shall come and fear the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So, how do these themes of judgment and mercy show up through this section? Yes, ma'am. In verse 2-3, Yes, it's it's kind of that that picture. What's what's the uh, most peaceful picture you can see? Someone years ago had a, a contest of what what could be the most beautiful thing, and someone pictured beautiful gardens, waterfalls, everything. But the picture that won, as I recall from the illustration, was that there was a war scene, a desolation scene, and there was a bird sitting on a dead limb singing. There was peace in that one little spot. All right, so where are you in the picture? Uh, so what, what else? Sorry, kind of build on what Carolyn was saying. As I'm scanning back and forth, and I haven't noticed this before this morning, but it seems like there's three points of, of instruction to the, the remnant, right? And, you know, one seven, we, we talked about this, it says be silent before the Lord your God. So as we think about how we deal with impending doom and judgment all around us, how the Israelites dealing with it. The first thing he says is to be silent, and then you jump ahead to um, chapter 2, verse 3, and it says gather before that, and that says seek the Lord, all you humble, um, and then jumping ahead to 3, um, he tells them to wait upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm not finding the verse right now, but it's like 3 times. Uh, yep. Yeah, therefore wait for me, for 3 8. Wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up and choose their prey. So, you know, he's giving instruction to the remnant on how to live in these days and how, how do you deal with what's going on all around. This is an excellent point of application for us. We'll go ahead and talk about that for just a moment now because with all the devastation and destruction about the world falling apart about them, all right, what do you do? He could have said, like most of us would say, two, three, fear, fear, fear. <laughs> you know, be afraid. And that's what, are we not seeing that today? People are filled with fear. You look outside the Christian community and people see things like Ukraine, COVID, other things. And what is the major reaction? Well, within the Christian community. What's that? Well, within the Christian community. Within the Christian community too. Yes, you're right. Which makes me wonder, you know, are you part of the remnant? If, if you're not doing what God says. And, and I'm, I'm, we're going to leap ahead here because you brought a great point. He picked up the triad there, seek, seek, seek. And you know why there's a triad there? Look back at the previous verse. Let's go ahead and look at verse 2, or uh, verse 1. We're going to answer the question of who he's talking to here in a few minutes. Who is he addressing? 
gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. That's singular. But it's a word that's usually used of a pagan nation. But we're going to talk about who is, who is he talking to. Notice, before, the, you can see this in the poetic arrangement of your words. Before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like shaft, before there comes to you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, before, before, before. All right, before this, before this, before this, seek, seek, seek. There's a beautiful symmetry here of what he is seeking to encourage them to do in this time. Because after reading about what's going to happen in chapter 1 to Judah and to Jerusalem and to all the nations, and you're sitting in the midst of the devastation thinking this is what's coming, and you're saying, what do we do? What do we do? 2, 3. You seek the Lord. This is what Janet was saying earlier. You know, that, that statement that you made there. And, and this, is, this is what we need to do today. When we are faced with things that are fearful, we seek the Lord. Okay. Let's get, let's get back to the next question. I don't want to get to preaching here. I'm, I'm realizing, reading that verse, in all of this judgment, there is mercy. Because there's a flashing light and a siren saying, danger ahead. Here's your chance to repent. This is all, this is all coming. Yep. You get to determine by the grace of God whether it's coming to you. I like that. A flashing light and a siren. It's exactly what God's going to do. This, his mercy is seen in the flashing lights and the siren. Great illustration there. All right, next question. Many nations are listed as the object of God's judgment uh, in uh, 2, 4 through 3. Uh, something changes. What is God's decision on that day? 3, 8. Somebody read 3, 8 quickly for me. You need to hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Wow, again, so strong. You, you need to, to wait for me, therefore wait for me, but then he talks about gathering, and gathering for a fire. He's looking at the whole world as chaff, as to be consumed, to be totally destroyed, going back to what we said earlier, we're going to see again here in a moment. We go back to creation. We go back to the flood and the condition the world was in. The wickedness of man was great. God destroyed it. All right, um, Upon okay, when we come to verse, yeah, did you want to say something? No, I just that's a that's a that's a holy thought. It it, it is overwhelming yeah. to it's read like this. Genesis six five that grieved the heart of God that He had made him, but for His thoughts were for evil only continually. You know that that God is grieved. I mean, really, right? Wow. Think about your heart. Yeah. You know. Their heart was only evil continually. We, we may not see everything that's going on inside of me, inside of you. But God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. We come here to church, we dress up, we, we look good on the outside. 
what is going on on the inside of Sparky's heart, your heart. And that's what God's getting at here. You need a change of heart. Seek, seek, seek. Okay, so upon whom is he said to pour out his burning indignation? Uh, this is maybe one of the harder questions in some ways. You have to read closely and carefully here. What would you answer that? We're looking at chapter 2, 1 through 3. What do you want? Mm-hmm. He is. But let's go back to 2, 1 through 2. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before this, 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 this. What's going to happen? Yeah. Judah. Judah, Judah, Judah. How many vote for Judah? Okay, that's right. It's, the vote has been cast. And so God is speaking to them. And he, all right, this is, this is where it's startling for us, I think. Because he says that, you know, we're going to pour out to a shameless nation these, this nation of Judah is going to be struck by the wrath of God. God's people. Why would they be struck? Look back. <clears throat> Let's see, is it verse? Oh, look in the first chapter. Yeah, let's look down to um, verse 4. Chapter 1. I will stretch out my hand against Judah. All right, that's, this is the left hand. And against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of well, now, wait a minute. We're, we're talking about Jerusalem. There's a remnant of Baal in Jerusalem? You mean there's a remnant of Baal in the church? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. All right, look, look as it goes on down. Um, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and swear to Milcom, those who have, in verse Six is the indictment, really. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. That's why in chapter 2, then right after this, he says, Seek! All right, sirens are blowing, lights are flashing. Look at yourself. Look around what's happening in Jerusalem. Don't, don't look at the nations for a moment. Look at yourselves. It's easy to point fingers at Putin and other people. What about you? This, this is a startling, Dennis, this is just startling stuff to read about here. I'm serious, and I'm curious in your study, were you able to ascertain whether this occurred in Josiah's day before the book of the law was found or after the book of the law was found? Because remember, they're, they're in the temple. He's mourning Josiah's heart after God like his father David. He was a good king, but... There is the book of the law, the book of Deuteronomy is found, and then there's this great revival. Does this come after or prior 
Yeah, the Second Kings twenty two twenty three, which you should also read. That was in the assignment. Will tell you all about uh, what Josiah did, and he's reigning during the days of Josiah. The question is, when was the prophecy given? And you will see in, in the scholars, because we don't know exactly, it might have come before Josiah began. It might have come during that. It might have come after. I've said the obvious. Okay, It could have come any time. But... Well, remember, there's a stay of execution because of Josiah. <clears throat> yes, right? that's the whole point, is there's a stay of execution. He kind of puts the finger, his thumb, in the dike. Right. And, you know, the judgment's not going to pour out. And from my reading, and what I'm thinking is that the reforms took place, but they were outward reforms, and not every heart was conformed. Okay. So they had forms, but again, you, know, you can have revival that outwardly you say, wow, this is great. We're glad to see if we could just get... Uh, the right person in office, if we could just get the right people in the Supreme Court, if we could just get the right this and that and that, if we could get all this, then we would have utopia. No, because we're all still sinners. And my heart is desperately wicked. I can't even know it, right? So we have to be careful that we ourselves seek the Lord. Revival doesn't really begin in something big like that. It begins right here, right here. Right here over here. Well, I think that's chilling too. It's verse 12 of chapter 1 because mm -hmm. it's still talking about Jerusalem, the people of God, supposedly, right? At right. that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Mm -hmm. So this is in. And so what supposedly was God. And then what, it, what and was those this? who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Yeah. It's almost like God doesn't care. He's yeah, they're, there. They're, he doesn't matter. It, it's all under grace. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ooh, ouch. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But, I mean, we can get like that, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem was complacency and the heart. That's mm -hmm. the two things. God, boy, this can preach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I've got seven minutes, and we've got a lot to go. Um, well, we may leave a lot of things to, to uh, Levi, and that'll be good because he'll know never to ask me again. <laughs> so how does this uh, connect back to the major theme that we saw in Amos and Jeremiah, uh, Amos and Obadiah? Seeking the Lord, wrath coming upon Let me read to you some from Amos. It won't take a long time with this. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations. I want to shake Israel among the nations. As one shakes with a sieve, and no pebble shall fall to the earth, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. Who can say disaster shall not overtake or meet us? Well, I think I've read enough of that. So you see... The same message was there, right, in Amos? He looks at God's people, pronounces judgment. And then in Obadiah, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, as you have done. It shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Look at your heart. Look at your life. Where are you in all of this? Um, let's see, next question. What is the source of... 
of Israel and Jerusalem's joy. 3, 14, and 15. And the verses that follow as well. What's the, their source? Where are they going to find joy? In the middle of the book of Zephaniah, where are you going to find any kind of joy? The Lord. The Lord. All right. He says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. See, there's, there's the heart issue again. God is always concerned about the heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. There is a God who is a God of mercy, who is a God who is faithful, who will fulfill his promises to you. But you must seek him. You won't find it in your wealth. You won't find it in, in your own positions. He talked about that in the first uh, chapter. All right. Um, any other comments about that one? I'm rushing you a little bit. Sorry for that. What does God promise to do for his people in 320? 320. My wife says restore. Make you renowned praise. Okay. Listen to the verse. At that time, they use day there, but it's the same thing, right? At that time, I will bring you in. That's an interesting statement. Because when the Exodus took place, I brought you out that I might bring you in. All right, so I'm going to bring you in. But this is going to be the ultimate salvation. Now, the ultimate Exodus. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the people, peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. Everything else before their eyes has been devastation. Now before their eyes is the King, the Lord. It's going to be a great day. All right, then look at uh, next question. Without exception, we are told that the people will be quiet on the day of the Lord. What is different, however? between the description of the day of the Lord in 1, 7, and 8, and 3, 17. Let me read the first two verses here and give me an answer to this. What, what, what's, a, what's this quiet about? In 1, 7, and 8, all are told here to be quiet. Let's see. Let me have the verse up. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is dear. What kind of word is that to them about silence? Silence in his presence. Is it a suggestion? No, it's not. A, this is not one of the ten suggestions. Okay, this is a command. What does it say, Kathy? Fear. Fear. It shows, yeah. shows fear. You you bow in fear and reverence before a holy God as an unholy people. Uh, what about three seventeen? Let's look at that. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Now, here they're to be quiet too. But how does the quiet come? Peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. What else? It's through his love. His mercy. It's almost like we're supposed to be quiet while we watch God celebrate. Yeah. And if here's the performance. You're the audience this time. You've been the audience for all the years. You've been, and God sings over us with his love. I understand that's a verse you read often to your choir. 
All right. And how or why are the people made silent? Both, well, we basically, I think, answered uh, that one. Let me go to another one. All right, we're coming down toward the end of this. All right, what common words or language show up in Habakkuk 2.20, 3.16, that connect Zephaniah with this? Give you a hint. And also in our last questions, the words that are common. Be quiet. Okay. So there's coming a day in which the whole world will stand in silence before God, and they will answer to him. Also, a day of trouble, uh, trouble or uh, wrath, it's also mentioned in all those. Uh, if you go back to the next one, Joel 1, 15 through 2.32, and Obadiah 15 to 21, how are descriptions of the day of the Lord of these two previous prophets compared to Zephaniah's prophecy? Quick answer here. Look over to your book, to page... Find it. Page 32. If you look at this from Paul House, how was Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, they were prophets who focused on the sins of God's people and the sins in the world. Then punishment came as the emphasis in Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. Zephaniah summarizes everything. He pulls it all together. That's why you have such an eloquent, if I can put it in those kind of words, description of the wrath of God and what kind of day it is. He is bringing here to a summation. And what will happen then, next week you'll see in Haggai, is out of all of that gloom and doom comes the beginning of restoration. The the restoring of fortunes. Um, so Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi now is to follow. And if you note the superscriptions, that is those first verses of each of those, especially the first two, it takes us to another era. It takes us to the days of Darius, Darius the first. And this is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of. 80 years later. So what is happening now uh, there, what has happened in the meantime between these two? Uh, anybody want to venture an answer to that? We're going to have to dismiss within the next minute. Zephaniah is going to take us uh, to the days of Darius when a decree has been issued. Judah has now already gone into exile. They have been defeated and taken into exile in 586-587. And so judgment is taking place. <clears throat> the, the next book takes place somewhere around the year 520. Yeah, August so, 29th. Yep. 520. Were you there? Well, I, I preached through Haggai. I okay. remember that okay. they could actually get down to the day. I was just blown away by the reality yeah. that they could actually get to the yeah, day they, of the calendar. There's some great records when we come yeah. down to that era. And and so this is going to usher in the restoring of fortunes in what way? How are they going to restore the What's going to be the sign they're restoring their fortunes in Haggai? The temple. The temple. The temple project. So they're going to start. Th but they didn't start it. 
So we're going to find out from Haggai why they didn't start it and so on. All right, I think I've done all I could here uh, in the time allotted me. And uh, so next week, Levi will be back, and you can ask him all the hard questions and things that I couldn't get to. And uh, thank you for your attention being here today. I hope this was encouragement to you. I, I would encourage you to read verses 9 through 20 of chapter 3 again this afternoon and just think about what God has done for you. If you can't go into the next service praising God after reading 9 through 20, you need to do something about your heart. Father, thank you for this time together. May you bless your people. Bless Dennis as it goes to preach the word of God again. Thank you, Lord, that we have, we have seen in his message, even last week, how we are hidden uh, in God through Christ. We are hidden in him. So thank you that we are part of that remnant. Help us to live it out by seeking you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.